My name is Jake. My wife and I, we run the, uh, the Young Families Ministry here. Um, yeah. If you need anything related to families, related to, you know, if you've got little ones under five, like, I know that can be such a barrier. Trust me, I've got three now. We just had a new baby last month. And yeah, we know it can be a challenge, but we do whatever we can to lift whatever burden we can, make it easier for you to be here, to know we've got an amazing kids team upstairs that is not just babysitting, but they're actually equipping your kids. So yeah, we're, we're very... We're very passionate about this house, and the reason I'm speaking today is, you know, Pastor Chris felt from God that it's actually time to release the gift that's on our house. My hope in this is not that there would be a series of speakers that come up and you are all amazed at the quality and caliber of speakers, although that's going to happen because, I mean, we've got some powerhouses. But the truth is, the goal is to show that God is moving in and on our church in a way that goes beyond our pastors. It goes beyond our leaders. We say all the time that this vision will only move as much as you move it with us, right? I mean, you are a part of this thing. And I think that there's something that we're hoping for to break in this, in this you know, however long we do it, um, where you see that this is not about one person. This is not about one speaker. This is not about one gift, but it's actually about what God is doing through all of us. So we're not going to do duplicate services anymore. We're not going to have the same, both services. You can double dip if you want. This is the one place you can double dip and you won't be judged for it. But know that you're going to have, thank you. Sorry, I got distracted. She complimented my joke and it just felt good. That was for me. But yeah, we're not going to have duplicate services. So know that, prep for that. Know that you, you don't know who's going to speak on any given week. But God's going to move and that's what matters, right? So... So yeah, we've been doing a series called Fences. Everyone say Fences. So if you don't know, Fences and the idea behind it was basically that there are things that we put in our life that we think we need for protection. We think we need for proximity to God. Most people, in fact, stay away from religion because of Fences. Because they think that there are all of these rules, and if they don't obey them one by one systematically, they get one wrong, God's unhappy with me. And therefore, I can't be in relationship with him. I can't, be, I can't show my face on a Sunday. You know how many times I've heard people say, I can't show up on Sunday, the roof is going to cave in on me? Which is crazy that you actually believe that. That's nuts. That you are the worst. It's actually kind of funny how... It's almost prideful in a way. It's like, yeah, you know, you're a sinner, but I'm a sinner, sinner. Like, if I show up, oh, man, people are going to scream in horror. It's like, no, you don't know who sits in the row with you. That at one point, they stayed out of church for the same reason, but they found that God was not a God of fences. He's not a God of religious rituals. He's actually a God that beckons you with love. And our response in the way we live comes out of experiencing his love, not living in such a way that we can earn his love. That's offense. The other type of offense is the one that we build ourselves in response to things that happen to us. I think we've all been in positions where, let's say you, you, know, you date the wrong girl, you date the wrong guy, whatever it is, and then it goes terribly and you say, I'm never dating ever again. You swear off men, you swear off women, only to be dating someone who looks just like her or him six months later. 
How do I keep ending up here? Well, I think maybe the fence isn't the problem. Maybe it's what we are allowing in our lives that's attracting us to certain things. And we keep putting up these fences thinking they'll save us, thinking they'll protect us, but the truth is they're just a false sense of security. Like Audrey preached last week, they're so weak, they're so feeble. We don't even really dig deep enough to put up a proper barrier. We just, fast as we can, I need to get up a fence because I'm vulnerable. And you feel that vulnerability, so you do whatever you can to protect it. But I think today my goal is not to show us how to take down fences. My goal is actually to show you that you never needed it in the first place. If I'm honest, I'm so tired of watching the same cycles repeat themselves in my own life. If I'm honest, I'm preaching this message to myself to preach my way out of some things. Because sometimes you need to preach to yourself as much as you need to preach to others. In fact, David did it all the time. He would say, soul, why are you downcast? I'm not sitting up here saying every fence is gone from my life. Every insecurity is no longer with me. They may be there, but I know who's bigger than that. And I speak and I preach out of a conviction, not out of a place of arrival. And I think that's really important because you can actually do the same thing to yourself on a Monday. We're going to preach our way out of some things today. And by the end of it, my prayer is that you will see the fence, the false sense of security it pales in comparison to the things that God has actually given us for protection. And the title of my message today is Stop Hiding and Start Fighting. Here's the truth about fences. We make them in response to who we think the enemy is. We put up fences because we say, I need to protect what life I have left that has yet to be taken from me because my parents took some of it from me. My so-called friends took some of it from me. So I need a fence of emotional distance because all I have left is what they didn't take. I need to put some stuff up to keep out the enemy. But here's the problem. We have misunderstood who our enemy actually is. I think we're so focused on the people that have messed with us that we never stop to ask the question, who's really messing with us? And who's messing with the people that's messing with us? One of the greatest revelations I ever took in was instead of seeing flesh and blood, people, enemies, AKA friends, family, AKA people that weren't there for you, people that you need to forgive, but you don't want to because you don't want to let them off the hook, even though the Bible tells us forgiveness is our weapon. It's about freeing us. We're so focused on the flesh and blood enemies that we never stop to think. Who's messing with the people that are messing with us? I wonder if the same enemy that's coming after me is coming after the people that I perceive to have come after me. I wonder if the barrier that I've put up was intended to keep out the wrong enemy in the first place. Do you know who your enemy is? I can tell you exactly who he is. 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. The devil. Are we really going to talk about the devil today? Yes. And I'm not talking about pointy tail pitchfork devil. 
I'm not talking about the devil that shows up on the side of the road and says, I've got a deal for you. Sell me your soul in exchange for some success. I'm talking about the real devil. I'm talking about the source of all things evil and the opposition to all things good. You have an enemy, and his name is the devil. The enemy is not your past. The enemy is not broken relationships. The enemy is not your parents. The enemy is not your family. The enemy, his name is the devil. And what does it say about him? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I feel like I have to elaborate on the devil a little bit because I think that we fail to recognize the things that he's actually behind and the fact that he's actually the one keeping us behind the fence in the first place. Because I think he sits outside roaring, trying to convince you, hey, if you take one step outside of this fence, you're just going to get hurt again. If you trust people again, do you really think they're not going to let you down when you need them the most? See, I think we need to understand what the devil's roar sounds like. It sounds less like a large, loud sound and more like a silent whisper that keeps you stagnant, that keeps you planted right where you are, fearful hiding behind the fence. Because what's going to happen if you take one step out? Remember the last time you trusted leadership in your life? Do you really think the church isn't just interested in your money? You better stay behind that fence. See, his roar is the thing that keeps us at bay. And I think it keeps us at bay because we don't recognize it for what it is. A pack of lies whispered by a liar to keep you small. Think about it. The irony of offense is that you build it. And what you're saying is, I'm never moving from this spot. Offense is only built in a place where you think you're going to stay permanently. So while we think it protects our life, it actually keeps your life small. And the very, you don't even understand. He didn't just have a hand in keeping you behind the fence. I think he had a hand in helping you build it in the first place. What was that whisper you were hearing as you put it up brick by brick? Saying, hey, this will keep you safe. Hey, this will keep you strong. Hey, don't let anybody in ever again. Hey, it's been like this for so long. Why bother changing it now? You don't think he was actively participating in helping you build that thing and keeping you in it? That is your enemy. That is the devil. The devil also loves to show up in this little thing called compromise. You know the root of the word compromise? That prefix, com, it just means together with. The word compromise literally means together with the promise. So the devil loves to show up as a collaborator in the promises of God on your life. You feel God speak something, right? Oh, you should get in community. It's time to get into a grow group. And the devil says, yeah, yeah, yeah. When work settles down. Let's collaborate. I got this. Hey, hey, it's time to be generous in your life. Yeah, as soon as you get a little bit extra. Let's collaborate on this, God. A compromise is nothing more than together with the promise. They say the devil's in the details. I say the devil's in the compromise, and the compromise is in the details. God, when he speaks a vision over your life, he made no mistakes. He spoke it so specifically. He said, this is who you are. 
Not in 10 years, not in 20. Now, now is today. Today is the time. Let's go. You were made for such a time as this. And he did not skimp on the details. But the devil loves to fill in the details with compromise. I think we have to know our enemy. If we're ever going to keep the true enemy out, we got to know our enemy. Compromise, lies. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Here's the beauty of the devil is that he's so predictable. That's why honesty is really valuable as a person up here. Because I know that when I say not just these lies or these struggles that are like, what would, a, what would a person in the crowd struggle with? I've got to say my struggle and my lie. You know why? Because when I do, I know that he's out there whispering the same thing to someone else. Just like he told me, insecurity will go away as soon as you have enough affection and praise from people. I know somebody sitting here thinking insecurity might go away when I have enough praise and affection for people because he is so predictable. He hits you with the same lie that he hits me with. This is why we need the body. Because the body exposes the liar. The second you and I start sharing the things that have kept us hidden and, and, and cowering behind these fences, we start to see that we're not alone. And maybe we have a common enemy whose goal is to mess with us and get us fighting with each other. But unity commands a blessing. Nothing unites people more than a common enemy. Every person in this room has one enemy and his name is the devil. Every single one of us is fighting that fight. And I hope that today, by the end of this service, you feel a little bit more equipped to fight the real enemy in your life. You gotta know your enemy. He's so predictable, in fact, that the thing he does now on earth is the same thing that he was trying to do in heaven. He was at one point in heaven, in fact, Jesus said, I saw him fall like a flash of lightning from heaven. Why? Because he wanted to be God. So that's why it's really significant that it says he prowls like a lion. Because it reminded me of a verse in Revelation. Revelation 5.5. 5. I'm like, I've seen this before. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and his seven seals. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus Christ. And the devil prowls around like a lion. And he's so desperate to keep you in the fence and keep you from church and keep you from community. Because he knows the second you get there, you're going to see the real lion. And he knows that when that happens, the game's up. He cannot convince you anymore that he is the lion because he's prowling like a lion. And when you meet the real lion, and when he has real power and real authority, and you see things break in your life that you never thought were going to break, he knows that you're not going to believe the lie anymore. You can't help but walk outside the fence because you realize it was all a facade. He's like a lion, but he's not the lion. The real lion is the lion of Judah. You got to know your enemy. So if we know our enemy, the second question is, how do we stay protected from that enemy? I'm learning how to time water breaks. Not quite there yet. <laughs> how do you stay protected from that enemy? Point number two is this. Point number one is know your enemy. Point number two is set your boundary. There's a difference between boundaries and fences. In fact, fences are often made as a response to things not going the way that we wanted them to go. We make them out of fear. We make them out of a place of fragility. 
But a boundary is far more powerful. And the truth is we won't trust boundaries if all we've ever known are fences. Because when God comes into our life and says, I have some boundaries for you, what we hear is another fence. Just another thing to keep me restricted, really. Another thing to keep my life small. The irony, of course, being that the fence we built was only there in the first place because we were doing things our way. And I'm, again, speaking for myself. I'm like, why did I resist God's boundaries, so-called, for so long? When I was creating my own, out of my brokenness, out of failure, we assume that God's boundaries are the same thing, but they're not at all. Boundaries are actually made from a place of authority. Boundaries are actually made from a place of strength. Boundaries are actually more about you saying, hey, enemy, I know who you are now, and this is the line you don't cross anymore. I set the boundary out of who he says I am, out of what he says I have. I have authority. Boundaries are more powerful than fences. Why do we all stop at red lights? Does some wall appear in the middle of the intersection? No, that's a boundary with authority behind it, and we understand what it means. You know, the devil understands what these boundaries mean sometimes better than we do. Jesus himself, when the disciples were cheering about knowing the scriptures, he said, that's great, even the demons know them. It's not about whether you've got them memorized. It's about whether you know that they're there to draw boundaries in your life. It's about whether or not you know that the devil knows the rules of the game better than you do. He knows that the moment you say, in Jesus' name, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, that his time is up. He knows the second you start to be convinced that these boundaries are not restrictive, but they're actually directional. He knows that he can't convince you anymore. And so he manipulates and he convinces you boundaries. That's a dirty word. You don't want boundaries. Yes, I do. Because I know God's direction is God's protection. The interesting thing about God's boundaries is that we, again, we envision that they're on all four sides of us. But let me read you something from Proverbs. Proverbs 4. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. A lot of boundaries. A lot of boundaries so far. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So it seems like God's boundaries are not so much a square that lives around us, but a boundary that lives on either side of us. That God is saying, I'm trying to move you in the direction that you've always been trying to go. So do me a favor. Trust me when I say that these boundaries, they are good for you. These boundaries, they will keep you moving. That the way I'm telling you to do relationships, it's actually going to lead to the happiest, healthiest marriage and three beautiful children. Trust me when I say the boundaries are not here to restrict you. The boundaries are here to move you. What's amazing is that we actually, we end up staying protected from our real enemy by staying within these boundaries. My kids, they love a good boundary, as all toddlers do. It's like you say to them, don't hang upside down and juggle. And they're like, boom, hanging upside down and juggling. I'm gonna start telling them to do incredibly productive things. 
don't learn quantum physics. <laughs> ha! <laughs> Reverse psychology made you a genius. The amount of times that I'm telling them simple things, like, hey, you know this 400-degree oven? It will burn you. Don't touch it. And it's like they want to get as close as they can and see how close they can get without getting burned. <laughs> because that's our nature, and you see it from childhood. I want to get as close to the edge as I possibly can without falling off, you know? But the truth is, the boundary was never there to entice you or to restrict you, but it was there to direct you and keep you safe. And every time my kids go near the oven, I tell them the same thing. Everything I tell you is because I'm trying to keep you safe. All I'm trying to do is to get you to trust me and love me. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to restrict you. In fact, give it six months. I dare you, put some things in your life that are biblical, that are principled, and see that it doesn't lead your life in the direction that you always wanted it to go anyway. We are so shy about saying this because, well, I don't want people to think that we're just trying to change them. Hey, I came in here because I needed change. <laughs> I came in here because things weren't working. So what's the harm in trying something God's way? What's the harm in putting in God's plan? He's just trying to take you from a place of hiding to a place of abiding. How does this lead to protection? Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, for you are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. The Christian life beyond salvation, beyond that moment of having a miraculous encounter with Jesus, the rest of it is remaining. The rest of the Christian life is remain in me, and I will remain in you. Well, why does he want me to remain in him? Well, this verse answers it. He's trying to be all the things that you are trying to make your fence be for you. He doesn't say, hey, follow me, I'll show you how to build a better fence. He says, follow me, and I will be your fortress. Keep my path, keep your path directed on me, and I will be your source of strength. I will be your fortress, and I will be your savior. I will be everything that you've looked to the world, to career, to finance, to relationships to be. I'll be all of those things for you and more. In fact, you won't even be able to look at those things the same anymore. You'll lose taste for them. You'll lose taste for the praise of men when you taste the praise of God. You lose an appetite for it. And you realize, man, now that I know my enemy, now that I know my God, I can trust the boundaries in, in, that he's put before me. Here's the thing, though. I would say I don't think it's that we don't trust God's boundaries. I think it's actually that we don't trust God. <laughs> you know, there's four things you have to really know about God. Four things. All of them at the same time. He's there. Big one. <laughs> he's real. Yeah, let's start there. A lot of people are willing to admit that. Or at least that maybe he's real. But the second one, he's good. Yeah, I think he's there, but I'm pretty sure he's mad at me. So I don't want to go anywhere near him. He's real and he's good. And he wants to be known. Number three. A lot of people will say he's real and good. But who can really know who he is? The universe is all around us. And it's all God. And God is it. No, he's real, he's good, he wants to be known, and there's a way to him. 
The way to him, Jesus said, is Jesus himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I wonder which of those four things we don't believe. Because I think if we believed all four of them, the boundaries would be no issue. But do I really believe you're good, God? That was my struggle. I don't think you're good. I think you're just gonna dangle the carrot in front of me for the rest of my life. Breakthrough's always around the corner, God, isn't it? You're not good. You just want me to serve you. I don't trust your boundaries. You can reverse engineer this, though. I dare you to try some of these boundaries in your life that are found in this word of God. I dare you to put into place something like the world of the generous gets larger and larger and see if it doesn't have an effect. I think that those things actually start to twit, like, like turn back the way that we view God and see him for who he is. We say, God, I have to trust you fully before I'll trust your boundaries. But he says, put one in place and see that it's good and see that this man who said Jesus is the way to it wasn't lying to you and see that I'm there for you, and see that I give you peace even though nothing changes about your circumstance. See that the moment that I come into your life, everything feels like it's lighter and you can't explain why. See that the moment you accept Jesus into your heart, for some reason you can feel again, and you cry for no reason, even though you haven't cried in 20 years, and then come back to me and say, I'm not good. And then come back to me and say, my boundaries aren't good, they're good. They're there to move you. They're there to protect you. They're there to direct you. And they're there to keep you safe from the enemy. But here's the thing. A fortress is not just a place of refuge. It's actually a place to armor up. You draw boundaries in your life, you better expect that you're going to attract some attention. I saw it all the time when I worked with people and I was like drinking. I just can't do it anymore, man. I was every weekend out. I need to stop. And the second you just say, no, I'm good, People are like, who do you think you are? Think you're better than me? I'm like, no, I'm just trying not to be sad. <laughs> boundaries attract attention. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they drew boundaries in their life. And it's enough to get you thrown into a furnace sometimes. <laughs> because a boundary is nothing more than saying I'm not bowing to certain things. That's all they did, by the way. They didn't sit there openly worshiping God. They just refused to bow to the God of Babylon, and that was enough. You've got to know boundaries attract the attention of the enemy. But it's not just about hiding. It's about fighting. We're going to close this out with point number three. Grab your weaponry. You go to a fortress to get armored up. And we all know, many of us have heard the armor of God. I'm going to read a snippet from it for you. Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Notice every single piece of the armor is defensive except one. One weapon that you and I have been given to fight with is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And let's go over to Hebrews and see what it says about that word. 
The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I find it interesting when I read this that the language is almost surgical. You would not think of a surgeon dividing bone from marrow with a sword. Wouldn't he do it with a scalpel? But here's the kicker. The word is a sword. And it's powerful. But the sword of the spirit, when it's surrendered to whom it belongs, becomes an instrument of both power and precision. God doesn't just give you a series of scriptures that you got to figure out on your own. He gives you the Holy Spirit that says, hey, I'm going to help you wield this thing called the sword, and I'm going to help you cut some things off of your life. I'm going to help you see what is you and what is a lie. What is you and what is your past? I'm going to draw some boundaries. I'm going to draw some divisions with this sword. But that only happens when we understand it belongs to the Spirit. You know what? Some of you, you've been sitting here for too long after encountering Christians that don't know how to wield this thing. So they hack away at you with it. And they tell you you're not good enough with it. And they tell you you need to measure up. Because they think it's just an instrument of power. But this is an instrument of precision. And when you surrender it to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He'll give you the exact scripture you need when you need it. He'll give you the exact word you need when you need it. The truth is, there was a man in 2 Samuel 23 named Eleazar, my favorite. He was one of David's mighty men, and it said that he stood his ground, and he fought so hard that his hand froze to the sword. You know what I say to the devil? Come and get it. Come and take it out of my hands. I know my weapon. I know you're a liar. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Before he formed me in the womb, he knew me. He knows the plans he has for me. Plans to prosper me, not to harm me. Plans to give me hope and a future. Pry this out of my hands. I dare you to take this from me because I'm fighting until my hand freezes to it. We can't be Christians that pretend like we're in a place of weakness because we only have Jesus. Oh, that's all I've got. Really, all you've got is the Lion of Judah. All you've got is the salvation of humanity. We are not in a place of weakness. And I think it's time we stopped hiding and we started fighting. Some of you today, it's your day to meet that lion. It's your day to meet the one who has been after you before you even knew his name. I'm gonna ask every single one of us, can we just stand to our feet and give God a shout of praise? I believe today is the day. You would not believe, you would not believe who I was 10 years ago, you wouldn't. If this is your first time seeing me, you may think that I've always been spitting and passionate and yelling and screaming about Jesus, but the fact is, I hid and I cowered. I didn't want anybody to know my name. I didn't want anybody to hear my voice. But I met the lion. I met the savior. And like a good savior, he says, my strength is not here to oppress you and restrict you. My strength is to empower you. My strength is here to give you the confidence that you've been looking for everywhere else. I'm not asking you if you're ready to read the Bible cover to cover, but I'm asking you, are you ready to change your view about this lion, to stop believing the one who prowls around like a lion, to identify the enemy for who he is and say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you at the helm. Right now, all I'm gonna ask is if that's you, you want to know Jesus, you want to start a relationship with him, 
All you need to do is confess. Believe in your heart, confess in your mouth. I'm gonna ask you in a moment to raise your hand. I'm gonna ask you just to know who I'm praying for and who I'm praying with. If that's you, if you wanna know Jesus today, all over this room, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you, put up your hand. I'll see it, you can put it right back down. Come on, all over this room, one, two, three, if that's you. Come on, thank you, I see that hand, I see that. I see that hand, I see, I see that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Come on, come on. Wow, come on, can we give up Jesus one more shout? Come on. Hey, if you made that decision today, I got a word for you in the, in the flannel. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes God wants to give you a little bit extra. Um, I feel like God's saying time is never wasted in his economy. It doesn't matter how long you feel like you've been gone or it doesn't matter how long you feel like things have gone on. He said, time's never wasted. He said, I'll make sense of everything. I'll make sense of every, every business venture that didn't go right. I'll make sense of every job that didn't seem to work out. I'll make sense of however long it's been feeling like you can't quite find what it is that you're meant to be doing. He's like, I will make sense of all of it. And on the other side, I have a purpose for you that's bigger than you could imagine. And he just wants you to know that he's, he's looking at you, that he sees you that you're not lost in the crowd. So does that speak to you today? <laughs> All right. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We do this every week. We pray together as a church because we leave no man or woman standing alone. So if that's you, you raise your hand. Even if you didn't and you wish you did, you can still pray this prayer with us. And it's just inviting Jesus into your heart. So all of this room, we're going to bow our head, close our eyes, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life. I thank you You've forgiven me of all my sin. I have a hope, a future, and a destiny through a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen.